invite Peter to come out. And that's all I'm going to tell you about him because I'm going to ask him everything else we need to know. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Tell us your full name, where you're from, and what you'd choose on, like to have on a pizza. Cool. Uh, my full name is Peter Stewart Knight Horden, uh, originally from Sydney, now in Melbourne. And what I would have on a pizza... It's not that tough of a question, is it? But I would probably uh, go with... Um, the last pizza I ordered didn't actually come how I would like it, so I'd like some tandoori chicken, not a supreme. Cool, tandoori chicken. Okay, so what do you do in Melbourne? Uh, the high school worker and, uh, I guess, assistant youth pastor at a church down in Melbourne, Richmond. Yeah, cool. Okay, I don't know much about Melbourne, but that sounds pretty good. And what, what does that see you doing? What kind of stuff do you like to do? So I work, I guess, under the youth pastor there. Uh, he looks over both the young adults and the youth, so I mainly just focus on the youth, uh, looking after the leaders, making sure uh, that they know what's going on, what's happening with the youth, working in their connect groups, uh, and also then going into high schools and putting on breakfast programs, lunch programs, because uh, uh, in Victoria they don't have um, scripture, um, SRE, so we go in there and just try and build relationships uh, with the students and hopefully connect them into the youth and just see an opportunity through that. Excellent, cool. And so you're up at SUFM. How long have you been coming for? What are you doing there this year? And what's been the best thing apart from the weather so far this year? Uh, so this is my fourth year. Um, I'm on a section called Nomads, and that's where we don't have a tent. We are literally nomads. We just walk around Evan's head. Um, some think we don't do much, but uh, it's actually quite a hard section because you walk around trying to start up friendships and relationships with people you don't know, uh, and if at best you might know someone from the year before, uh, you just try and continue on that. Uh, and that will probably be the best thing currently is I've been uh, able to sort of reconnect with one of the kids last year that I was able to talk with, uh, and that's going really well. So he's, one of his mates has come up, so hopefully it's just another opportunity to keep sharing. Yeah, cool. That's good. Well, thanks for coming to us this morning. Um, Pete is going to talk from Romans chapter 12, and Ben's going to come and read it for us before you get back up to preach it for us. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Thanks, Peter. Sorry, I forgot your Bibles there. In this blue one, it's on page 1139. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Paul's given us a lot of good info in this book about relationship with God and what Jesus has done for us. Uh, he talks just before this verse about God's sovereignty and it's in God's hands. God's got wisdom and knowledge. He is sovereign. And, uh, and so building on that, in verse 12 he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. 
Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Before we go any further, let's let's just pray. Lord, I thank you so much for how good you are to us. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal uh, once again and just refresh uh, your mercies to us, Lord, uh, through your word, through me today, Lord. And I pray that you would help me, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would guide me and lead me. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that you would help me to encourage the church, uh, and just encourage us in our individual lives, Lord God, and uh, our life as a corporate body. So thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm quite fascinated by uh, body language. I find it really interesting. I remember reading a book on it. Uh, and it's really, it's great. Most things you'll actually read out of, I think it's about 70% uh, of communication, it's roughly that, is done through body language and tone. It's not necessarily just the word that is spoken. Uh, so they actually did some studies where uh, they got two lectures. The same lecturer, exact same lecture format, everything. They got the first crowd to come in and they said, okay, we want you to sit with your hands by your side, legs uncrossed at all times. And then we're going to ask you how it went. So they did that. And it came back with quite positive responses. They got a second crowd in and they said, okay, what we want you to do, what you do, cross your legs and cross your arms for the whole lecture. So they did that. Same lecture, same lecturer. And it came back with the results after that it was actually quite negative feelings towards it. It's interesting because the body language has a real way of revealing what the heart uh, and also what is going on in the mind. It's, it's quite an interesting impact what happens. And I, I love reading body language and seeing, you know, if you're talking with someone, you can, you can tell a lot. You know, it's like, you know, how was your day? Oh, yeah, it was, it was really good. You obviously know that it hasn't been that good. Uh, and coming back from uh, Melbourne to have Christmas with family, I... I got to spend a little time with mum and dad, which has been really great, and uh, saw them just sort of interacting, and uh, dad's a bit of a jokester, and uh, saw him just sort of joking with mum and just sort of, you know, pulling some strings, saying some jokes, and saying how mum just gets all really gaga over the uh, the one-year-old nephew my sister's had, and just how, you know, dad's easy, he's kind of more, stands a bit of a distance and loves from a bit of a distance, while mum's all over, oh, just loves him, just, you know, how women get all clucky, and men are kind of, that's great, good on your little tucker, and yeah. But, uh, and so he just kind of kept saying little jokes and uh, just, just kind of gave me a bit of a wink and kept going. And uh, all of a sudden, he must have, must have been able to see something that mum did because he went from joking to he stood up and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, honey. Oh, you know I love you. I think mum must have just said, oh, well, if you're just going to joke, well, don't worry about me then. And it's just interesting because dad was able to read what was going on with mum just through her body language. 
you know, she said, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. He's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I love you. And he started to then do what males do best is to just hold and pull them closer. And it's when women are like, no, don't come near me. It's really saying, you better hug me. So dad's up and he's, he's hugging her and he's, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's, it, it was really interesting in body language and it, it really reveals what's going on. And what Paul uh, talks about uh, in part of this message is how uh, we as the church are, because we are in Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. And I believe how we work together in a church, as in a local church, and how we encourage one another, how we're using our giftings, not only help to renew what's going on within us as the Holy Spirit also works within us, but it also is a face to what the community sees and the love that they see with what's going on here. So I've really come to encourage today with, I guess, as a community, how we work together in building each other up, but also how we work together in being and sharing the gospel. And uh, as we've read before, in the therefore bit and uh, at college, uh, they teach you this thing is if you ever see a, bless you, if, they ever, if you ever see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, I wonder what that's there for. So what that's there for is going beyond, if you look sort of previously to the rest of the scriptures in, in sort of Romans, it's talking about God's mercy, what God has done. And it's uh, before it goes on and it's really just talking about the sin of man. And I was reading a, a book, I don't know if anyone's read or heard anything of Mark Driscoll, he's a preacher in uh, the USA and uh, I was reading a book, he wrote a letter a bunch of letters to people. And one of the letters was written to a man that had unfortunately um, had in, become intimate with a, a young lady who was underage. And, and the parents had uh, found out and they char- pressed charges. He'd been sent to court. Uh, he was charged and he pleaded guilty. Uh, and after that, he just spiraled into depression. As his friends and his families wanted nothing to do with him, uh, in his depression, he started to think of how he could commit suicide. And Mark Driscoll had met this man in prison. And after meeting him, he wrote him a letter. And the letter, as I read it, went, started from, you actually just sort of went through and said, you know, meeting you, I wanted to write this to you. And he says, but actually, you know, what you've done actually deserves, you actually deserve to be guilty. You deserve to actually be punished for what you've done. And then it goes on and saying, just as you stood in front of a judge in a, in a human court, you will one day stand before the judge of all judges, God, and you will be judged on everything you have done, everything you have not done, everything you have thought, every will and act of the heart. You will be judged upon those things. And then he goes on further and saying that there's actually nothing you can do in your own works to try and uh, merit that or make uh, yourself better or to try and uh, get God's approval in how you've, in fact, so depraved, even if your good works, what you would try to do, they would actually be for a self-seeking cause. And I think that's kind of still very true today uh, when people say of... uh, uh, you know, oh, I, I try to do good things or, you know, you know, it makes you feel good. But if we're doing good things because it makes you feel good, it's not really being done out of a selflessness. It's being kind of done because it makes you feel good. But we know that when Christ came, he came not to feel good for us. He actually came to give everything for us. In the letter as it reads on, and it really kind of, as I was reading and I was kind of once again really getting convicted of my own life and, and, and how I live and, and how I think. And, but then it goes on to then how the mercy of God and how God decided to step into our situation, regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we've thought, how we've acted, what we haven't done, what's been done to us. God has stepped in to the history of the human race as a man to take upon our sins 
so that we can have a relationship with God once again. Not because we deserve it, but because of the love of God. And as I read that, I just was like refreshed. I just wanted to, I was just like, God, thank you so much for your mercy. I just felt like, what can I do, God? I just want to serve, I just want to love you, I want to, I want to praise you. It was because of seeing the mercy of God that it really brought me to a, a freshness again of God. How can I serve you? And what he's talking about, what Paul talks about right in the beginning of here is, how do we respond to the mercy of God? How do we act? We can't, we never do to try and work to gain God's, you know, smile or his love. We can do nothing to gain that. It's already been given. Everything's already been done for us. But how do we respond to that mercy? Paul talks about it as we offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, when he'd written that back then, 2,000 years ago, the church would have heard that. And to, I guess to put it kind of quickly and simply, religion would have been understood as sacrifice. Back then they would have gone, even, even the Gentiles and the Jews would have understood that part of religion was sacrifice. You would take your little lamb or goat or pigeon or whatever it was and you would take it and you would get it sacrificed at the temple. That was part of the religion. It's what you would do. And Paul is saying it's not just something that you would do that you would take. It's actually because of God's mercy that you would lay down your entire life Offer yourself to God. And it says that this is true worship. The word that like, sort of they use for like true worship is kind of, it's an intellectual worship. It's, a, it's not just a worship of, uh, you know, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm giving up, but it's an informed worship. It's not just like the sheep that would just be pulled out of the pen and it's like, oh, great, my master's here and it follows the master. It's, oh, where are we going? Oh, we're going towards the temple. Fantastic. Love the temple. Great place. Oh, look. There's the priest. Oh, he's wearing that great new cloak I saw in the Old Testament Leviticus catalogue and he's looking great in it. Oh, look, the priest has got out his knife. Fantastic. That's a very sharp knife. Don't cut yourself. And all of a sudden, the poor defenseless sheep that didn't know what was going on was slaughtered. But Paul is saying, actually, come before God, knowing what you're going to give up, knowing that your whole life is about to be given towards him and give it, offer it to God because of his mercy. And this worship is not, as we kind of exclaim, kind of say that, you know, we've come to have praise and worship. It's not like just one song. This worship is a every day. It's an every moment. It's an act of where we take all of our being and we give it to God. But how does that look for us? How does it look, in a, I guess, in a, in a modern day context? How do we sacrifice ourselves? Because it's not asking that we would go and then actually get ourselves killed because that's not what it's not what it's asking for further on it does say paul then explains do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that renewing is a process it's not a one-off thing and i'm not sure about you but i know for myself uh, being a christian for well over 10 years I've been able to see where I've come from when I first got saved and the issues and the struggles I've had. And just throughout the years, coming to a place where those same issues, those same insecurities, those, the same sin is nowhere what it was before. 
there's been some sort of an improvement and it's not been because I've been able to sit there and kind of really think about it and really push and but it's just been because the Holy Spirit actually works within you and I and he's working on us. And it's, I think that being worked on by the Holy Spirit really takes us to surrender ourselves. I really enjoy a medieval kind of fantasy kind of fighting. Like I love kind of the movies like, uh, like Troy or I really enjoy like Kingdom of Heaven or the new Robin Hood movie that came out. I love Robin Hood. You might have heard me before, my middle name is Knight. It's like K-N-I-G-H-T. And I love telling people that. And they're like, really? Like Knight? Like the sword? And I'm like, yeah. I get really pumped every time I hear my own name. But it's, it's like when I get to see these movies, I just love it. And sometimes I, I watch Narnia. Uh, has anyone seen the new Narnia? It's out. Great movies, Narnian movies. And I was watching it and I was just excited because they've got their swords and their arrows and they're shooting people. There's no blood, of course, which is kind of strange, but it's great. And they're out there and they're just fighting for Aslan. They're fighting for Narnia for the good. And it's like, yes, you go get them. Fight the slave trades and all that kind of stuff. I'm just loving the movie. And as I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, it would be, in some ways, I would find it almost a bit easier if we were just, when you become a Christian, it's kind of like, right, here's your sword. Here's your bow and arrow. There you go. Go fight for the Lord. No worries. I'll go fight slave traders or whatever. But it's actually, that's not the kind of renewing or fight that we're in. And as I was sitting there watching the movie, God was kind of really speaking to me and showing me that it's really about an inward work that's being done. The fight is not a physical one. The fight is up here and it's in here. It's where we have to sacrifice and give up our own desires, our own wants that we know are actually coming from a sinful self. And where we're saying, God, how can I actually follow you? How can I be transformed? How can I give up what I want, which I know isn't right, for what I know that is right? I think it's actually quite harder. It's a harder battle. Because you can't necessarily escape what's going in here or here. Because you have to live with that every day. But the great encouragement is, church, that the Holy Spirit is actually working within us. And it's not just a battle that we're trying to fight with ourselves. But God is actually renewing us. He's actually transforming us from the inside out. And everything I see really starts from the heart. It really starts with how we think. And it really just comes from that. It's the fruit of the Spirit as it talks in Galatians. It's not something where we can sort of muster up like enough patience during the day where, I don't know if it's like this in Evan's head where you're driving and there just seems to be someone who's driving really slowly in front of you and you might be in a rush, you've got to get milk for the kids and, you know, they've got to go to school, you're driving down to, the, to Charlie's and you're, you're trying to pick up some milk, but someone's just driving really slowly in front of you and you're just like, I'm in a rush today and it's just really not a good time right now and you're trying to muster up all the patience, but it's actually, it's like, God... Help me have patience today. Help me have patience right now. Sometimes people get quite uh, filled with road rage and uh, it's good to know that the Holy Spirit helps us with uh, such things as that. We kind of live in a, I guess, a now but a not yet. We live in a now where we're saved, where we're redeemed, where what we've done is now, because of what Christ has done now, stands in front of us, where we stand before God, what we've done, will now be seen with what Christ has done for us instead. That's the now. 
but we still live in the not yet. While we're redeemed, while we have Christ, while we, our relationship with God is now made perfect and we are in relationship with him, we still live in a, a not yet. We're not yet perfect. We're not yet completely transformed into how God has designed us to be. I kind of think of it uh, a little bit as of a, a house. If we imagine a house that was made to just be beautiful, just live, uh, live forever, just stand there, be wonderful, fresh paint, never get old. But it's kind of like time has taken its toll. Kids have gone and drawn crayon on the walls. People have spilt that milk that you just bought from Charlie's on the carpet. It now has a bit of a smell because the dog's in there. And it's just like, you know, the kids, I don't know, they, they make a smell in the place. They're kids. And it's just like the house has kind of just gone from something really beautiful to something now it's, it's old, it's worn, it's torn. And I kind of think, almost see myself as a bit of a worn and torn house because of the sin in my life and, and what I've done, what I've chosen. But the Holy Spirit comes and he actually starts to renew me. He starts to replaster the walls. He starts to fix up the cracks. He starts to, to paint me afresh. He starts to pull down the vines, change the carpet. He's renewing me and it's a process. We're in the now, but the not yet. We're getting there one day. I really believe it's part of surrendering ourselves to the work of Christ. It's to the mercy of God and it's to that renewing of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we live in response. I think there can be a bit of a tension sometimes with faith and works. And some, I unfortunately hear sometimes where people, they will almost try and uh, justify their continuing living in sin by, oh no, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I once had a, an... an not an argument, but a discussion with someone and they were saying, I don't, I don't really believe it's right to be getting drunk. And they're like, oh, but I'm a Christian. Like, I, I believe in Jesus, you know. I'm, you know, like, of course, Jesus, their argument was, but Jesus turned water into wine. And I'm like, well, that had nothing to do with getting drunk at all. And I was just kind of like, it's our response to what God has done is not to try and get in the good books of God but it's how do we live in response to what God has done? I believe that how we live in response is completely by surrendering ourselves and letting God work within us. I think that while there is a complete personal intimacy with us and with God, I think there's also a corporate responsibility as a body in a church. As you look further down from three to eight, it talks about how we as a church work together as a body, it says in verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I actually believe that as we work together as a church and as a community, that we actually help renew one another. As it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so another, one man sharpens another. And I know that one of my best mates, Nick, back in Sydney, I would not be the man that I am today, I would not be the Christian I am today if it was not for his influence, if it was not for his challenging me in my walk with God. And I guess if I can encourage you today as a church, work together. Work together as a church. You know, like younger guys, Find a, 
Find an older mentor. Find someone who's, gonna, who's got a bit more wisdom, maybe a few more gray hairs, but they've got that wisdom. They're able to help you and guide you through life. Ask them some of the hard questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I have a great privilege of being able to sit down with one of the, the pastors at our church, and he's, uh, he's about, I think he's 63 years old, and I love just getting a coffee with him because I just get to sit and hear his wisdom and I just ask him these questions. I'm so how do you do this in your relationship with your wife? And what about this in ministry? And he just begins to share his wisdom. Guys, find out. Older generation, please pursue the youngers. Help them. Give them your wisdom. Try and give them some of your time. If you could think of it as like someone teaching someone to play a guitar, spend that time with them. Just offer it to them. Maybe they want to go get a coffee or a milkshake or teach them how to surf or young guys teach the older how to surf if they want to. I'm not sure. But work together as a church. As, you, as we look through, we've all got different gifts. But you see, we're all saved by a common faith. We're all saved by that faith in Jesus Christ, but we've all been given particular gifts to work to as a church. But I guess, how do we function really as that kind of church? What does that really look like? I would say, first of all, that that kind of church, a real healthy, functioning church is one of love. One of love. One of the biggest challenges in a church is when a fence can creep in. Where someone will do something and the other, someone will be offended. And one of the easiest responses is that they would just leave church or they would just ignore that person, give them the polite smile, and then walk away. But I think what Christ calls us to do is to love, and to lay down our pride, and to actually work with each other on the, anything, if there's any grievances, or any offenses, to actually love one another. That would probably be my first challenge today, church, is, are you loving the person next to you? Has there been an offense made at some time in church that maybe you'd like to get right with them and and fix that relationship up? Another way I believe that community looks is exactly how Paul would talk about it is using our gifts as one body. Uh, There's a whole whole, whole different list in the Bible of of the the gifts that we've got. And uh, what Paul, he mentions them in 1 Corinthians 12 and also Ephesians 4. And these different gifts are used to encourage, to build up the church so that we are actually being a healthy church together. I like to think of an example with the the Nomad team. Uh, There's about uh, five of us in the team and my friend uh, Bubs or Joel as his parents named him. uh, He's part of that Nomad team and there's uh, there's also two girls and there's uh, there's two other guys. Maybe that's, that's six. Maths has never been my strong point. That's why I'm dating someone who has good math skills, so we compliment. So in our nomad team, we've all got different skills. I, for one, cannot skate. I cannot surf. I cannot bodyboard. I, I know about computer games, though. So I, I can sit there, and I was, as I was talking down at the skate bowl, I was sitting there, and I was talking about Xbox with some young kids, and I'm like, oh, so what are you guys doing? What did you get for Christmas? And like, oh, we got like the new, the new COD, which is a game called Call of Duty. It's all about war games. And uh, like, oh, cool. I haven't, I haven't played the new one. Is it good? And like, oh, it's great. We love it. Go there and you can throw knives at their head. The zombies' heads come off. And I'm like, cool, yeah. 
and they're just loving it. They're having a great old time talking about it. But then, you know, I go down to the, the, the skate park and I kind of feel like a, I'm a bit of a fake because I go down there on one of the guy's bikes, but I wouldn't try a trick on a, on a skate ramp for the life of me. I'm too scared. So I leave that up to the guys that are actually good at riding a bike or are good at skating and they get the street rep and I just sit there on the bike pretending like I might know how to ride, but I never do. So the kids will never know, but I'll sit there and I'll just kind of look, oh, is that guy know how to ride? He never does, maybe. But my strength is not in riding a bike. It's actually not in skating, as I was saying. But other guys on the team are. Damo is a great surfer, amazing surfer, great skater. Lewis, one of the other guys, great, knows how to ride his bike. I get on his bike just to try and look cool because it's a really cool bike. But he's not, has, he rides that thing and he looks good when he does it. The girls, Gemma and Michelle, they go hanging out with the other girls and they take them to movies. They, they, they went to bingo the other night and I think we're going to bingo again. But uh, they, they went there and they had a great time. And then there's Joel. Joel instantly walks up and kids just see him. They're just in awe of him and they just... They just want to hang out with him because if they don't hang out, he might hurt them, but he won't. But it's just that thought that, you know, Joel's such a big guy that you never know what's going to happen. So they're just like, they're stoked just to sit there and this really big guy is being really nice to me. And they feel protected. It's like under his wing. So it's great. But you see, we all work together as a nomad team. We all have different strengths. And while I might not be able to surf or skate or ride a bike, My part, I know I'm able to chat with kids and I'm able to talk about computing. I'm able to be a bit stupid with them and just make jokes with them. And, you know, we all complement each other. We all work together as a team. And as a team, as a nomad section, we work really well together. Just as a church, you know, not everyone is called to teach. Not everyone is called to serve in the same way. Not everyone's called to encourage. Not not everyone is, is, is called to the specific gifts. But we've all got individual gifts God's given you. And I want to call upon and say, please, church, use those individual gifts. Use them to build the church. Use them to build one another. I think one of the biggest ways that it can help build us is that when we use our gifts as a church, individually, individually, we are helping renew one another. We're helping challenge one another. It says uh, back in Romans 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And I was reading in a commentary and he was saying that, uh, you know, there's no lone rangers in the church. And I feel a bit sad when people tell me, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. They're not really connected with the body of Christ. They're not connected and they don't have those friendships, those relationships where we're able to challenge one another and encourage one another. If you're going through a downtime and your brother or sister are able to get beside you and help you out. Bubba came up a bit later because he was uh, down with some, uh, a family. They've just lost their 13-year-old daughter to a heart attack. And he was able to be down there and just encourage them and just lift them up, take them out, do some sports, get their minds off things. We're called to encourage. We're called to be using the different gifts that we have together to help be in that process of renewing one another. I guess the question is, is individually, what is your gift? What is the gift that God has given you? I challenge you to have a look. Maybe if you're unsure, look through 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4 or Romans 12. Have a look at the different gifts Paul mentions. 
They're not necessarily comprehensive lists and like that's all there is, but they're the lists that he wrote to the churches of that time that, for a specific reason. Have a look and say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at being able to give. And Paul would say, well, give generously. Or maybe you're, you're very compassionate. You're very great at having mercy. Be very merciful with people. Do it cheerfully. But what is your gift? If you're not sure, I encourage you to just to pray. I encourage you to seek God and ask what that is. It will usually be something that is quite easy coming. It's not something you have to really push for and it's not something that's really draining you, but it's something that actually produces a lot of fruit when you're just doing it and you're not having to put in so much effort that you almost feel like you're getting run down. Another question I would like to ask is once you know what your gift is or if you know, are you willing to use it? Back again in the, uh, in the movie of Narnia, uh, there was a little girl, Lucy, and uh, Lucy had a bit of a self-esteem issue. She, was, she really wasn't too positive on how she looked. She kind of felt like she was the, the ugly younger sister. And her whole, what, during the movie, she found this spell book and this page went open to this spell for how to be beautiful. And so she pulled out the page and she put it in a coat. And then she, during the movie, Aslan talks to her and actually says, you're going to go through challenges. I encourage you to be strong. And what happens is uh, it comes to a time where she's, she wakes up in the middle of night and she takes out the spell and she reads it out. And as she reads it out, she's expecting all the sun just to be beautiful. So she goes to the mirror. She goes to the mirror. She's kind of looking at herself. And she actually then sees herself as her older sister, Susan, who's a very beautiful girl. And she's stroking her hair and she's so happy. Finally, she's got everything that she desired. She's beautiful. And she enters into this world through the mirror. And in this world, all the army soldiers are there and they're sort of giving her the wink. They're looking at her. And she's stoked. She's like, I'm beautiful. And her brothers see her and they're like, oh, Susan, Susan, come over here. Let's have a photo. And oh, great. And the the photographer's like, oh, the parents will love this one. And she goes, wait, where's Lucy? And the brothers go, Lucy, what do you mean? What do you mean, Susan? What do you mean, what do you mean? Where's Lucy? This is a family photo. Who's Lucy? Lucy and Narnia. And they've got no idea what she's talking about. And so she struggles and as she's struggling, she wakes back up. And as she wakes back up, she then realizes that she sold everything she had for something she did not have because she didn't feel like what she did have was precious enough. Because she sold what she had for something she didn't have, she lost everything. And because Lucy then didn't exist, there was no entering into Narnia, there was none of these adventures, there was none of the brothers knew about it. And in the same kind of way, I kind of see it is, sometimes we can look at other people's gifts and think, oh, if only I had that gift, then I would use it. I want to challenge you that with whatever God's given you, Whatever God's given you, use it. Use it to build the church. Don't look at what someone else has and think, oh, if only I had that. Because God hasn't made you that person. And only you are able to do what God's called you to do. So I challenge you, whatever gift you have, please use it. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you for your amazing mercy. Lord, that we are saved not because of what we can do, 
but it is completely on what you have done for us, Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that we are able to live in response to that. We are able to be transformed and renewed. Holy Spirit is you who transforms us. And Lord God, we are challenged by each other. We are encouraged by one another as we work as a church in the different giftings we have. And Lord, I want to pray for this church. Lord, I pray that as they work together, Lord, as their heart and as their mind is transformed and renewed as a church, as a body, Lord, that their body language to the community and to each other would be a body language of love, would be one that shows your grace and your mercy. Lord, and I pray that this church in Evan's head, Lord God, would have such an influence, such an impact upon all generations, Lord God, upon all those in the community, upon all those who are holidaying and all those who live here. God, I pray that you would use this church. And I, Lord, ask that for all those with all their gifts that they have, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, and I hope that I've been able to encourage them, Lord, to use their gifts, so that in using their gifts, they would help renew one another and be part of that process, and that there would also be the face of who you are, Lord Jesus, in this community. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take the words that you've spoken through me today, and I pray that you would produce the fruit that you desire. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.